You are listening to Beyond the Jargon, a jargon-free look at graduate students and their research journeys here at UVic. Welcome to Beyond the Jargon. Today my guest is Reagan Shrum, who is doing a master's in art history. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you. So what specifically, let's get right into it, what specifically are you looking at uh, when it comes to art history? So I'm looking at actually uh, the Vancouver Olympics. Oh, really? And specifically, at first I was doing a general Aboriginal representation in art in the Vancouver Olympics, but now I've turned to couch and sweaters and the appropriation of them by the Hudson's Bay Company. Oh, fascinating topic. How did you initially become interested in this? I've always kind of had an interest in especially world's fairs and and Olympics and Mm -hmm. the nationalistic side of that. So when the Vancouver Olympics came, I was an undergrad here and was very interested and went over to go watch some of the sporting events and the cultural events. And then that just got my interest in especially the representation of what was happening. Mm -hmm. I remember... um, working as a reporter at the time and the story about the couch and sweaters and um, maybe you can refresh our memories about that because um, the the actual timeline of events and what happened with the sweaters. Yeah, so there was a a question at first by Cowichan Valley newspaper called The Pictorial and they wanted to have the couch and sweater as a Olympic line of clothing to symbolize the valley and to include Vancouver Island Mm -hmm. into the Olympics. So they started this in 2007. They were asking Duncan city councillors. They were asking Couch Nation chiefs. Uh, A bunch of people were starting to get interested in it. Uh, They took this to the Hudson Bay Company, who then seemed to be interested and actually had talks with the Couch Nation about producing a whole line of of handmade sweaters just for the Vancouver Olympics. But for some reason, the Hudson Bay's company thought um, they couldn't make produce enough of these sweaters. So then later on, what happened was the Inukshuk was then introduced and many First Nations people were upset because it was a symbol of Northern Inuit culture, not Pacific Northwest. Right. Um, And it was the logo for the games. And it was the logo for the Vancouver Games. And then, so after this, eventually in 2009, October 2009, Hudson Bay Company released this sweater called the Olympic Sweater. And it had many characteristics as the couch and sweater. It had pans of geographic patterns. It had two elk heads, mm-hmm. which were kind of similar to an older pattern that the Cowgen, um knitters first came up with. So there were some discrepancies and newspapers were mm-hmm. reporting on it. The Couch Nation got so angry that they, some individual knitters wanted a silent protest here in Victoria uh, during the torch rally, which was October 30th of 2009. Mm -hmm. And then also the Couch Nation also started to look into a lawsuit. But what ended up happening were talks between Hudson Bay Company and the Couch Nation, and everything kind of just smoothed over suddenly. I'm not exactly sure what happened, but in the end, the Couch Knitters got to sell 
their couch and sweaters just at the downtown Vancouver Hudson Bay store hmm. compared to 600 locations nationwide. So, Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so in the end, there was some kind of partnership with Hudson Bay. I mean, yes. And yes, that there they was. sort of, they were at one location in mm-hmm. Vancouver during the games. Yeah. Huh. Was a lawsuit ever brought? No, it, it was not. But mm-hmm. then later in the London 2010 Summer Games, the Hudson Bay Company then did another sweater that looked again couch and like but no no debate from that one hmm. so kind of continued in this line of appropriation without questioning wow yeah mm-hmm. so uh what does your research um really entail when you're looking into this what are you looking at specifically so i'm comparing just the original sweaters to the hudson bay sweater to see if there are characteristics if there was uh, appropriation or theft of Mm. designs. And then I have also looked at, I haven't personally interviewed, but looked at tapes of other interviews with knitters and looked at their opinion of imitation sweaters and how it affects them personally Mm -hmm. and the harmfulness through economic, um, through women's statuses being denied, through uh, continue of colonization, a whole mess of issues that could be harmful potentially Mm -hmm. to the knitters. Um, And so have you been able to draw any conclusions yet about whether or not there was this appropriation or theft of design? Uh, I claim there is, Mm -hmm. um, that there's there's a lot of similarities. A lot of the population actually thought these Hudson Bay Company sweaters were couchin and then that actually changed how people look at sweaters now now they actually want these color and they don't want as as thick sweaters because they're used to oh like from the couchin knitters yeah yeah now the couchin knitters have to change these things that are over 100 years old of how they've been doing them wow um and some of them when you go to downtown stores in victoria you know, you can see slight differences. They aren't as thick wool. And, and right. so it, it has been changing the industry um, and, and just looking at yeah, exactly how it has changed. And it is hard to tell, right? There's no papers on the sales of these or anything. Yeah. So, huh. so uh, how far along are you in your master's? Uh, I've just finished my second draft of my thesis. Oh, so. okay. So you're Get pretty close second, to getting yeah. to the end. Yeah, I'm <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> getting there. Did you start out um, doing what you wound up doing or did you start out looking at... I know I've, I've interviewed a lot of people and sometimes yeah. they start out with totally a different idea in mind and mm-hmm. wind up at a totally different place at the end. Has this always been your focus and sort of smoothly went from A to B? No, no, not at all. <laughs> I I applied for my shirk with this idea of looking at Vancouver Olympics still, but looking at the Aboriginal Pavilion, which mm. uh, was actually organized the first time it had been organized by uh, First Nations people, the four host nations. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, I thought that was pretty amazing that in 2010, that's the first time Olympic f- Pavilion has done this. But unfortunately, there wasn't enough. Um, the files didn't have access to 2025, so oh. I couldn't proceed that way mm-hmm. in research. Um, we should mention what the shirk is. It's beyond the jargon. Yes, shirk. So. <laughs> yeah. shirk is a research grant uh, in which a highly competitive 
and you talk about what you're going to write for your either master's thesis or uh, PhD dissertation, and then it goes up uh, against everyone out in the university, and there's only a limited number of spots, so mm-hmm. it's a very competitive grant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so uh, so after you couldn't get access, or you wouldn't have access to the files to look mm-hmm. at the pavilion, then did mm-hmm. you decide to look at the couch and sweater? Um? It, it went different ways. <laughs> uh it was a lot of me trying to decide. I was thinking of Kent Monkman's films. He's a, a Cree artist who dresses up in drag and then becomes this different persona of Miss Chief Eagle Testicle. <laughs> and so very, and, and makes fun of colonialism. Uh, so I, I was really interested in his films and was thinking that way. At one time, I was looking at, uh, it's called The Professional. Native Group of Seven, which is a, a group of seven artists who haven't really been looked at. But eventually I went back to the Vancouver Olympics because I was still mm-hmm. very interested in it. Yeah, I mean, it, there's a lot of uh, different controversial things that yes. came out of that. Yes, I mean, it were. must have been rich territory for this kind <laughs> yeah. of research. And sensitive, though. Mm-hmm. I, I found out that a lot of people didn't want, uh, especially from First Nations communities, some didn't want, uh, especially the Aboriginal pavilion, to be talked about. So hmm. uh, then I would, I, then I realized it, it wasn't something that I should be investigating if no one wants to mm-hmm. to discuss it. So, um, why did they not want to it talked about? I think it was just a very political situation. Uh, so the Vancouver Olympics were interesting because it was the first time Indigenous groups actually helped co-host uh, an Olympic Games. And But then actually when you look at the numbers, only 50% of the nations in the Vancouver area actually wanted the Olympics to be held there. Mm. So a lot of politics within nations and within the whole of Canada, I think. So... Um, I think people wanted to forget it almost and, yeah. and let it go and, and look to the future. So, hmm. mm-hmm. um, You talked about looking at tapes of interviews or listening to tapes of interviews mm-hmm. from the knitters. Mm-hmm. Um, who was talking to the knitters in those? Who are the interviews with? They're with uh, one of the first people to document uh, couch and sweaters, who is Margaret, I'm going to mess up her last name, Margaret M- McHill. Mm-hmm. And this was back in the 80s. And actually the history of couch and sweaters, even though it's a long history, the academic history is very small, started about the 50s. And so she developed a exhibit uh, for the couch and nation themselves. Mm-hmm. And she interviewed and then wrote a book as well. And using these quotes in the book and the the exhibit. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and so she was focused on like the, the sweaters and what they meant culturally and artistically. Yeah. And documenting the history, exactly how they're made, because you you see the end product in the stores. But it's interesting to find out that actually a lot of um, modern modern teenagers and, and children don't know how to make these sweaters because the knitters are getting tired of making them and showing their kids and their grandkids. So she helped document uh, the making of it. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Huh. 
Um, do you think that you would ever go to the Couch and Valley and talk to knitters? Or once you're done your thesis, are you done sort of with this topic? How, how does that work? I, I did talk to some knitters. I okay. went for research to Duncan and uh, went to the reserve as well, went to the uh, cultural center and just talked to knitters on the not for research purposes, but just out of interest. Mm -hmm. And I also worked with uh, May Sam. She's uh, She comes to University of Victoria weekly to actually teach students how to knit. Oh, really? And, make, and process their own wool and everything. So I talked to her. She had a special talk at Open Space Art Society. And so I... I went up after and had all these questions that mm. I didn't fill out an ethics review, so it can't be used. But in, in my personal knowledge, I'll know right. <laughs> um, some information, yeah. When you talk to people about this, and mm -hmm. you, I presume you told them what you were doing, uh, yeah. what was the reception when they, uh, they heard about that? There's slight interest, actually. There's, um, I think, again, people want to forgive and forget the Hudson Bay Company. Mm -hmm. When I was talking with some administration people from Couch Nation. They were interested in me documenting the knitting and and documenting the people, but didn't want to look at the appropriation. Mm. Instead wanted to look towards the future of of showing how the knitting is changing and people are now can use uh, Kool-Aid coloring packages to dye the wool oh, yeah. and, and make it very different to our felting techniques now of washing the wool and then it kind of becomes all clumped together hmm. in different ways. So um, I think they want knitting to be talked about because it is something that's in our, in at least Victoria and Vancouver Island, it's very in, it's very you see students around campus wearing them, but I think they want to look past just the appropriation of it. Hmm. Um, it seems like when you're talking about things like um, uh, cultural appropriation or mm -hmm. actually more along the lines of like theft of mm -hmm. like ideas, like yes. intellectual property, things like this, mm -hmm. um, do you think about your work in that it, I don't know, what if somebody wanted to use this as evidence for a lawsuit down the road? Is that like a possibility? I, I don't know. Just when I'm thinking about this, mm -hmm. like if you're talking about, if you're using words like theft of like artistic ideas, then, mm -hmm. you know, that sort of implies that there has been like a wrongdoing and maybe mm -hmm. there should be um, like repayment or whatever for that. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because the Couch Nation does have a copyright on the name genuine couch and sweater mm. but not on designs because it's each sweater varies so differently um, each knitter makes up their own pattern and changes it slightly each time right usually so it's hard to actually put uh, a trademark or a copyright on a general thing that changes every time it does have characteristics so it is it is a hard situation um and I don't know if it could be used in a, some kind of lawsuit or something, but just more of a moral dilemma, I, I find. Mm, yeah. yeah. What happens to your research when it's done? Are you, in, or sorry, what happens when you're done, basically? Oh, <laughs> I'm not sure at this point. Uh, I'm, I'm still very intrigued with, this is just one aspect of the Vancouver Olympics, and I'm, I want to pursue other aspects, I think, in mm -hmm. the future. Hopefully, maybe... Uh, this 
thesis will be published, but I'm not. I'm not sure at this point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you mentioned earlier that you're you were always interested in world's fairs and yes. these big kind of events. Uh, what is it about them that's so interesting for you? I'm not sure. I think I like the inventions. Uh, I, I, spectacular place where people can look at what's been occurring in the world, but then also how changed the the world point world point of view is. Mm-hmm. So when you look back at the Chicago 1893 World's Fair and you have Buffalo Bill and his Wild West shows, you know, that's what people see as First Nations and they were portrayed as savages and and it's just interesting to see how sometimes those little tidbits of stereotypes actually kind of continue even into you know the 1960s world's fairs Mm. Um, and it's just intriguing how people look at each other especially world's fairs are are supposed to be nationalistic um, and supposed to show national pride but sometimes minorities get left out Mm. and uh, I've always been intrigued of of that. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Um, did you do uh, your undergrad degree here at UVic? Yes, I did. Yeah, in art history. In art history as oh, well. Yeah. yeah, art history and film studies. Oh yeah. Did you yeah. look at uh, stuff like uh, like when you were um, doing your undergrad? Mm-hmm. Were you able to investigate the sort of World's Fair? It's a sort of interesting topic of minorities being left out. I think I always did that on the side of of. Mm. I never actually got to write a paper. Uh, oh, no, I, I got to write one paper on the World's Fair, on uh, Vienna World's Fair. Mm. Uh, but otherwise, I would be reading uh, books on my own, like The Devil in the White City mm. and by Eric Larson, which is the Chicago World's Fair. And I would slowly look at Montreal and Seattle World's Fairs because those were very intriguing ones as well of different uh, political things happening as well. Hmm. Do mm-hmm. we even still have World's Fairs? Yeah, there is. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the last one in North America was Vancouver, the eight, uh, 1986. Oh, Expo. Expo. Yeah, yeah oh, Expo okay. World's Fair, same. I see, okay. Yeah, same thing. Um, yeah, I think I had a little... I had a little sticker or something from that from when I was a little kid. Yeah. I don't know if I actually went or if my parents went, but yeah, um, yeah, that's funny. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. When was the most recent one? Do you know? I remember last time I looked was Taiwan had one. Oh, yeah. Uh, And then there was going to be possibly, I think, one in Texas in 2016. So it was coming back. But it's not as popular as it once was. Yeah. Uh, I think it's kind of lost its heyday Mm -hmm. now. I wonder why they're not as popular anymore, because it seemed like it was a big event when it happened Mm -hmm. um, way back. Um, Yeah. But now, yeah, I don't know. It, are we just sort of... Is it because you think we have the internet and we have access to looking at all this uh, new stuff, maybe? Maybe, but it's interesting because, um, you know, Olympics have become bigger now. Right. So in 1904, St. Louis, it was a World's Fair slash Olympics, mm-hmm. and it was most unattended Olympics in history of Olympics. Uh, but the World's Fair was really popular in that year. So it's kind of changed that we're we are looking at each other through the internet and blogs and and knowing each other, knowing the technology. So maybe that aspect is gone, but still that nationalistic 
and sporting events is still there with the Olympics. Mm -hmm. That sort of ability to compete, which I guess yes, <laughs> it would be difficult to do that kind of stuff through uh, without being in the same physical location. Mm -hmm. uh, World's fairs, you talked about the inventions that would come. Is mm -hmm. that sort of uh, all that was there at these World's fairs, or is there other stuff as well? I clearly know nothing about World's <laughs> fairs. <laughs> uh, it would be a lot of different events so there would be pavilions there would be each country would usually have their own pavilion mm -hmm. so it would be cultural ideas so sometimes films for sometimes um i'm trying to think what else art art would usually be shown and then also agricultural and technology and then also uh, like there was one where in the Chicago World's Fair where it was the first women's pavilion. So they would show off their knitting and their, mm. their more crafts, even though they weren't crafts. Right. Um, and, and also show it, wanting to try to have the right to vote and, and show that women had power mm -hmm. by building their own pavilion. So mm. If mm -hmm. the World's Fair comes to Texas, <laughs> yeah. will you go? I don't think so, no. <laughs> if, no. Uh, if one was held, like, say, in Vancouver, would you go? I, I would go, yeah. 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 Hmm. yeah, definitely. And if I could go back in time, I would go to the New York 1964 World's Fair, because that was the one Walt Disney helped create. Oh, interesting. So you huh. get a lot of the same rides that were in Disneyland were there originally. At the World's Fair. Yeah. First. Oh, interesting, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. Hmm. Yeah, that would have been a, a really interesting one. The Chicago one really interests me, though, with the, mm -hmm. the Olympics and the World's Fair. Oh, the St. Louis? Or St. Yeah, Louis yeah. one, yeah. yeah. And the fact that the uh, the Olympics were not really well attended. No, hmm. yeah. And yet there was a big controversy because at that time the, the pot la latch was still banned in Canada. Mm -hmm. um, so the St. Louis division of... Uh, anthropology for the World's Fair actually got a lot of Kwakawak people mm. from Alert Bay uh, down to St. Louis World's Fair and, and kind of didn't force them to compete, but they were, you know, uh, depicted in a bad way But th and, and were supposed to be competing sports um, events with each other, oh. kind of as an observation of, of science. Um, but then, so they brought the, these people from Alert Bay yeah. to do different sporting events? Yeah. Um, just against each other or against in e the Olympics? No, just against each other. And also made these, uh, you know, what they would say are culturally correct villages. But in fact, they were, I'm sure, were just sh shacks. Mm -hmm. So you, you wonder why the Kwakwak people, they weren't forced to come down, but you wonder why they did. But in fact... The, uh, in the United States, they could actually practice the potlatch hmm. without, you know, being caught by the Canadian government because they were doing it on different land. So they thought it as an opportunity to finally um, complete all these ceremonies that had been missing for a couple of years that they had to do either secretly or illegally. Right. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So yeah. they use the opportunity then to do to carry out these or perform these ceremonies. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And what would the ceremonies relate to? Like, would it be equivalent to things in I don't know, say like mainstream white culture, like marriages or things like that? Or yeah, it would be a naming ceremony or a marriage or different things that were very important mm -hmm. um, and in giving and exchanging in the potlatch of giving names and then also gifts. 
and it were so essential that it was almost hard to function without them. Mm-hmm. So it was a, a good opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, very strange, though, that they would be brought down to perform sporting events for yeah. crowds to observe. Yes, yeah. Huh. It seems like... It's it's almost weird to look at the 2012 Vancouver Olympics mm-hmm. and sort of controversy around that, talking about how Indigenous people being involved with the pavilion was the first time that that had actually happened in mm-hmm. the Olympic history. It seems like they did not come that far from, you know, um, people being brought down to St. Louis, you know, that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on like the progression of that? If we have come very far or have not come very far, if I don't know where we sort of are in that kind of are things better, I guess, for participation um, of indigenous people in these kinds of large events? I guess better than the 1903, yeah. but still way far off than it, it should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason why Vancouver Olympics occurred was because of First Nations participation. The um, Vancouver uh, Olympic Committee chair, Jack Poole, in fact, explicitly said this uh, because the International Olympic Committee wanted um, from 2006 on wanted more women and indigenous populations to participate. Mm-hmm. So Vancouver, when they put in the bid, said, we'll, we'll do a lot of indigenous. We'll, we'll show um, our cultures. We'll, we'll make sure that they participate. But I think it was almost a forced participation mm-hmm. that um, I'm not sure if it actually really helped anyone or maybe maybe they were shown which was uh in first peoples were were shown and proudly shown during the olympic opening ceremonies and and we see lots of different cultures um and different nations but i wonder if actuality if any any good came out about it because yeah really a lot of the funding was taken away from other um, projects such as helping with homelessness and poverty. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Uh, you talked about being interested in sort of the exclusion of minority groups mm-hmm. in these things. It sounds like you focus heavily on indigenous populations, mm-hmm. but do you look at other minority groups that are um, sort of excluded when it comes to these world fairs, these big spectacles? Um, no, not not as much for mm-hmm. world's fairs, but in, in other aspects of, of looking at art, I do. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in films, looking at who is included and and how they're included Mm. um, in different senses for minorities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, (laughs) man, we're almost at the end. (laughs) (laughs) Once you're done, uh, finished with your master's, what's the next steps for you? Are you going to continue doing studies or do you want to go? (laughs) (laughs) I'm all done. I've I've really enjoyed school, Mm -hmm. but I I realized... um, there's a lot more knowledge to be to be taken, but maybe not within the academic uh, term until later in life, at least. Mm-hmm. So I, I'd like to continue looking at art and especially curation of art, because that's basically what World's Fairs are, are curating, and actually become a curator myself in mm-hmm. museums. Yeah. <laughs> nice. All right, and when do you expect to be finished? Uh, I think August of 2015, so... 
it's getting there. Getting close. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you for coming in today and talking thank about you. your research. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Beyond the Jargon. If you want to listen again, go to our website, cfuv.uvic.ca, and click on the Listen tab.